Guys, we're gonna kick off guest month. The first guest of guest month is a, is a pretty huge one. He graduated from Xavier in 2012, went to Fordham University, and I think maybe even the most impressive thing is he works on the Michael K show. Uh, so, without further ado, let's welcome in Anthony Pusick to the pod. Anthony, how are we doing, buddy? Hey, Lou, Stephen, Tommaso, Rory, how are we doing, guys? Doing Good. great. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, oh, thank you sick. for having me. Yeah, this is pretty awesome. So, I mean, I know you're pretty, as Stephen leaves, fitting. <laughs> we're pretty diverse uh, in sports. So I think we're going to cover a lot of stuff. And I, we're going to we'll start with uh, some March Madness because I think everything's picking up tomorrow. So, you said the bracket's going to be decided like tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow's selection Sunday. So, uh, Tommaso obviously run great Instagram, College Sports Digest. Check it out if you're interested in that stuff. Why don't you kick us off? So, what are your thoughts on uh, all things March Madness so far, man? Well, no, I mean, I, first of all, great job plugging all your stuff, guys. That's huge. <laughs> You're already you know, well on your way to what you need to do to be to be successful in this business. Um, I'm just glad that we might have March Madness this year. Um, obviously, yeah, exactly. uh, the 12th of last year was the day the sports world stopped. Um, and this year, I know we still have some COVID issues with a couple of the big teams, but um, I'm looking forward to actually having a tournament this year. And it seems like sports are slowly working their way back towards normal. Um, so I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I'm just, like, excited to actually have March Madness this year because I was looking forward to it last year. And, like, we made it all the way to, like, the last few games of the season and it got shut down. And it was, like, really, really disappointing. So I'm just, I'm just excited to have, like, actual March Madness this year. And it should it should be a good one because there's, like, a lot, of, a lot of, like, teams at the top that can probably uh, compete for national champions. And there's looking to be like a lot of sleeper teams like yeah, I can make a run. So very exciting. Yeah, I mean that was like really brutal when they ended that uh that St. John's game at like halftime. Yeah. I think that was kinda like it all set in. And I, I know almost everyone we know is a huge St. John's fan, so like they were really hyped for that year. And to have it all come crumbling down is kind of brutal. And you never get to make up March Madness, so that really hurt. Um yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited for the tournament this year. And Tommaso, like looking forward, what teams I know the tournament's not completely set, but uh you know, maybe you could do a little bracketology here. What teams are you looking at to maybe make it as like as fringe guys, those last couple of teams, those last few teams? So some bubble teams. Uh so we saw CN Hall yesterday that had a shot to make the Big East final and they played Georgetown, which is not like Georgetown's not anything special, but they've actually been on the run. And CNL didn't win, so they're like like a fringe team right now, I would say. Another team I would probably say Syracuse. They I don't know if you saw the buzzer reader that they lost on against Virginia. And they're like they're like borderline. So there's like a lot of those teams. And then uh Duke was actually making a run in the ACC champion uh, the, the tournament and they unfortunately got COVID. So th- there's no shot of them making it, which is really it was really hard because Duke was actually like they were they were getting hot. It would have been fun to see them make a run. 
even though not a lot of people like you, but still been pretty cool. <laughs> I know, um, Anthony, you have any teams that you're really excited to watch, you know, this college basketball season, whether they're top teams or even like a lower seed? Yeah, well, I think for, for us, um, the locals are definitely something. I know you guys mentioned it. St. John's had a chance to make a run last year. Seton Hall, not as good as they were last year either. Um, and they had quite they, – they had a chance to make a really good run in March Madness last year. Um, it's always great when the locals are good. Um, I wish Fordham was a little better. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. We could have an entirely different podcast on that, believe me. Um, but uh, I'm interested to see if Gonzaga can complete the perfect season. Um, there's not many teams that can do it. Uh, they don't play in a very strong conference, and that's always a knock on them, but they're always one of the top seeds. They make it pretty far. Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four. Uh, Mark Few is a great coach. Um, so I like, I'm interested to see Gonzaga. Baylor, of course, has been really good. Um, I'm interested to see Oklahoma State. Cade Cunningham, one of the best college uh, basketball players in the, in the country, um, see what he does in the tournament. Because we saw what happened with John Morant. Murray State was not good, but uh, they won a couple games and he got noticed. Uh, Cade Cunningham doesn't need to get noticed. He is one of the best players, but you want to see them on a big stage. Um, and that's why I think March Madness is going to be so cool. I'm just curious to see what's going to happen with Kansas, what's going to happen with Virginia. They had the COVID positives. Um, I know that the NCAA has put rules in place. You only need five guys to play a game, obviously. Um, but that could, that could bust some brackets and it could make for an interesting tournament if somebody has to, uh, has to step out here. Awesome. Yeah. Tommaso, what are your thoughts? I know Anthony mentioned Gonzaga and I've seen the post. You think they can complete that perfect season? Where do you stand that, Tommaso? I don't know. I feel like this is the best team they've had. I mean, I don't. You could honestly say ever. They're they're twenty six and zero. I mean, they like everyone says they're weak conference, but they they beat good teams in like the beginning of the season. Like they beat uh, Iowa, West Virginia. So I honestly, I'm excited to see if they could complete it. But um, I don't. Know. I think they could honestly. They could obviously win it, but. It, there's like like I said earlier, there's a lot of good teams this year. Like uh, we said, Baylor, Michigan, Illinois. There's like a lot of teams at the top that could take them down. All right, we'll definitely talk more about this once the uh, the bracket gets made. I think we have uh we have some plans to do a little podcast bracket challenge. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, Luca doesn't win another challenge. It'd be demoralizing. <laughs> um, I can certainly say I will not win that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, look, I don't know anything about college basketball. Like, I just turned on for March Madness. So, I think there was one year, like, in eighth grade, like, I just picked Xavier to go, like, four rounds deep because I was like, I'm going to Xavier. Let's see what happens. And they actually upset a couple of teams. I won that year. Yeah. I was like, let's do it, baby. Wow. I picked based on names, and I the one year I won, I was like, the random year George Mason went <laughs> super far. I was just like, ah, that's a cool name. Let's go with those guys. <laughs> no, but. March Madness, you don't even like, like you could say like, oh, you know a lot about it, but at the end of the day, it's it's a, a lot of it is luck, because like, you know, no, no one's ever gonna get a perfect bracket, and like even however much you study, you're probably not gonna come first, and it, it's gonna be the guy that goes knows like nothing about it, which is gonna come first, which is usually what happens. That's the most fun video to watch is like when they show you how astronomical the odds are of getting a perfect mm-hmm. bracket. It's just so it's so demoralizing. <laughs> so uh, random, not uh, story. A uh, guy on Staten Island that uh, a friend of mine's like dad knew. 
he was a firefighter and they used to have this giant March Madness pool at a bar near my house, Jody's, like got up to like the winnings were like a million dollars plus. And obviously it wasn't very legal, but the guy won the won a million dollars and he was a firefighter. So his mom told him that he should he has to claim the winnings on his IRS taxes. And he was just like, well, yeah, my mom told me, of course, I'm going to do that. And he did. They were just like, a million, where did this million dollars like come from? He's like, oh, I wanted at a bar gambling thing. And the bar owner obviously got followed up by the IRS and got <laughs> lost uh, a lot of money from it. <laughs> that's not what you want at all. <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> so on that note, we will obviously talk more about college basketball in the in the weeks coming. But let's move on to you know some NBA basketball. And once again, the talk of the town has been both the Knicks and the Nets. And the question I kind of want to float out to all of you guys is given both their expectations, who are you more impressed by this season? I think that's the Knicks, no question. No, 100% the Knicks. You can't even question that. I mean, the Nets had the expectations coming into the season to be finals contenders with all the pieces. And that was even before they got hardened. Now getting one of the best. And Blake Griffin. Exactly. Blake Griffin now is going to be additional help. Mm. There's no shot about possibly it. Andre Drummond coming into the season. The Knicks where, you know, it's the Knicks. No one ever has high expectations. The way that they're playing now, it's awesome. And we see it too. Madison square garden, all the fans outside. I think it still shows like when the Knicks, like when they get something going, it's, it's something special. It's not it, everyone, all the hype was around the nets, but everyone knows in New York when the Knicks get rolling, it's, there's just something different in the air. I think. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, John Franco. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have said it better. I think the interesting thing the Nets have going for them, and I personally would also take the Knicks uh, for this question that I threw out there, but the thing the Nets have going for them is that there were a lot of questions about how is everyone going to mesh, especially once they got hardened. It was like, how are all these, you know, how, how are these three guys going to mesh? And so far, I think you'd say it's been pretty ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just yesterday, or not yesterday, but a couple of days ago, I think Kyrie goes off for 40. Against yeah. the Celtics, which you love to see, um, yeah, I think it's like that 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 trio. Even though they haven't played as much as together as much as you'd like, um, when when they're out there, it's it's everything you've wanted from them. And I don't want to say we predicted the Blake Griffin last week, but we certainly talked about the hypothetical of them coming there. I think Tomasa threw out the stat, like twelve points a game, five rebounds, something like that. Like yeah. solid stats that he's going to make them a better team. I saw something too, and they were saying, I think it's um it's pretty big for uh, Blake Griffin coming in, only because, like you know, we've seen him like you know early in his career with the Clippers and stuff like that when he was really like the main option for them. I mean, now coming to this team that you have KD, Kyrie, Harden, possibly put Joe Harris in front of him too. You know, DeAndre Jordan, he's not going to be the main guy. So I feel like now that he has a smaller role, a lot less is like you know expected of him on his plate. I think he's going to be a solid guy. I know. I, I think there's potential for him to be a starter, but even coming off the bench, I think he can definitely have a big impact. I would agree, guys. I, I, no question the Knicks are the most impressive. I think the question then becomes, what, is the, what, would be more, uh, what would be a more successful season? The Knicks making the playoffs or the Nets not winning the NBA Finals? So if the Nets don't win the NBA Finals and the Knicks make the playoffs, did the Knicks have a more successful season? Um, because... As you guys pointed out, I think that the big three have played together for about seven games. Mm-hmm. Um, and those first couple games weren't great, um, but they finally figured out Harden's going to be the guy that's going to 
uh, take a step back when all three of those guys are on the court. Um, obviously, now Blake Griffin comes in. He's not the same player he was with the Clippers. He hasn't dunked in two years. Um, but I think this Knicks team is already at their over-under for wins out in Vegas. So they're already exceeding expectations. This is a tough stretch for them in the second half. If they make the playoffs, not the 7 through 10, you know, best of three series, they get in one of the top eight. They are one of the top eight. If and the Nets don't win the NBA title, I think the Knicks had a more successful season. I think that's crazy. I know that that's crazy to say, but at this point, the Nets are championship or bust. If AD doesn't come back healthy for the Lakers, who's beating the Nets in a seven game series? Mm-hmm. Nobody in the East, I don't no, think. So. And now Joel Embiid's out yeah. probably two weeks or more. So everything is going to go well for the Nets here. And they, it is their championship to lose at this point, I think. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think last week, right, Tomasa, we kind of went through, like, the Knicks schedule, and we were looking at all the teams, and it's like, you got to play Milwaukee. There's You play in the it's Lakers twice. It's it, – right, the, 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 the goal becomes more – it's like you'd love to stay in, in fifth place or something like that, but I think the goal becomes more like just let's make the playoffs. Let's try and finish in the top eight teams, and, and we'll go from there. I Luca last week mentioned he'd love to see Nets and Knicks in the first round. That'd be scary for the Knicks. I think they'd certainly like to play a different team. That'd be uh, that would, I mean, it would certainly be fun. It'd certainly be electric for the city. But, I mean. Just, just to read it off, I have it here because this is what I remember when the second half of the schedule came out. The last, like, you know, 10 games of this season, I'm just reading it off. I'm looking at it now. Grizzlies, Nuggets, Suns, Clippers, Lakers, Spurs, Hornets, and Celtics for the Knicks. And that last week of May, you know, that beginning of May, that's going to be when, you know, teams are trying to make a push. So that's why all these games, even though, like, you know, we still have a long way to go, you know, talking about it, just watching the Knicks. I mean, even though I'm going to chalk up the last game to the Bucks, I'm going to say, you know, all-star break, a little rusty, whatever that was, but they need to get on a roll. And they all, they got to, you know, these games matter. It's crazy to start talking about it now in March, you know, with the season ends in May, but. At this point, if they want to make a spot, they got every game matters, and especially with yeah, everyone ten can. games at the yeah. end of the season when teams are trying to make a push, they gotta they gotta get it going. It's it's definitely crazy to think about how like the Nets are just in a league of their own. Like I think last week I threw it like, without AD, are the Clippers the best team to match up with the with the Nets? And I think we all agreed like just like. The hype for the Clippers has just dropped off ever since they lost in the playoffs like last year. Like I think Clippers, the excitement for that team, it was at a peak last year. I think everyone was really excited. Like Lakers, Clippers, these are gonna be two great teams. I just I don't feel the same excitement around them this year. Um, I mean, I I really I couldn't tell you who I even think right now has a really good shot to take to take the Nets and just, you know, I could convincingly say, yeah, they'll battle with them for seven games. I think there are teams that can definitely do it, but not one that I'd be used uh, to saying. Now, I wouldn't be willing to put money on it or anything like that. I think I think it's definitely – I think that goes back to, <clears throat> to, like, the difference between the East and the Western Conference. I mean, I still think that the Western Conference is definitely, definitely more better. And I just think it's so much more competitive. And I think that's why, I mean, talking about the Nets, I think their road to the finals coming out of the East is definitely a lot more easier. But I think when you get to the West, I mean, teams like the Jazz, the Suns, that have proven themselves this year, I just don't know if they can, you know, sustain that for a seven-game series going against, you know, three guys that, you know, have been to the playoffs a lot, have been to the finals, you know, that have this playoff experience. I don't know if they're going to be able to take them down. 
Yeah, I would agree. I think if the Sixers were at full strength, it would be fun and interesting to see them in a seven-game series, but we're probably talking Eastern Conference Finals at that point. Um, nobody under the Sixers, really. I mean, the Celtics are a complete mess. The Heat aren't what they were last year. We could say, if we're Knicks fans, we could say that the Knicks have a shot and all Brooklyn versus New York. I mean, they might if they win a game, they'd be lucky if they played a seven-game series. Let's be realistic. Um, yeah. You're looking at the two LA teams. Those are the teams that are going to be uh, the serious contenders against the Nets. Um, and it comes down to depth, too, because if the Nets do try and make another move, um, their bench is a lot weaker than some of the other teams. Uh, the Lakers have Dennis Schroeder, not exactly a bench guy, but I, I think that their overall team is deeper. But in terms of the starting five, I think the Nets have a stronger team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of said this before, but, like, I really think you run up the Nets starting five against anyone – in the league and you feel confident if you're Brooklyn yeah. the crazy thought the three the crazy thought I had is like even if they had prime Blake Griffin is he the fourth best player on that team no fair enough I don't fair think enough. so I don't think he is I think I I really like Spencer Dinwiddie um I think he's yeah. a great player um Joe Harris is for what he does for that team is tremendous obviously not better than prime Blake Griffin um, but it, but in the situation that he is needed for that team, just to hit threes, to be that extra guard, um, I think I think he's great. Um, there are a lot of good pieces about this Nets team. They went from uh, the team everybody loved to the team everybody hated, and all it takes is getting a couple of superstars, and that's all it takes, especially in New York. So evil empire in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was saying that last week that like I was actually like. Uh, was it a few years ago when they had like D'Angelo Russell and everyone? I was actually like rooting for them. Like they were like a pretty fun team to watch. I don't know if you remember the the video of them dancing on the bench, like I said last week. Well, but it was just, it was just a, fu- a fun team to watch. But yeah, obviously now you get you get all the best players and obviously you root against them. But yeah, I feel like that's where the Knicks slipped into. They kind of filled into that role. That the Nets were a few years ago that fun team because it's exciting. I mean, like. No one expected this at all from the Knicks. And I'm so happy with the way that Julius Randle's playing. Obviously, he's an all-star this year. I feel like, you know, he tends sometimes to go back to his old ways last year, you know, clogging up the pain, holding on to the ball too much. So that, you know, kind of gets a little scary sometimes. But I feel like the main part of this season, no matter what it is, it just shows that the Knicks are actually finally heading in the right direction. Tibbs is trying to build, you know, a good culture, starting from the ground up. I mean... They have, you know, a few first-round picks now still from um, Dallas. But I think, like, the, the main part of this is that just for so long, just, like, the struggle to get free agents. I mean, we've seen it in the past recent with KD and Kyrie talking about our only our only thing that we would speak about was New York, New York, who doesn't want to play in MSG and all this stuff. Clearly, that hasn't worked. They went 20 minutes away to Brooklyn. So I think the main part of that now is just showing that, like, we're actually starting to build something, getting a good culture. And I feel like that's definitely going to be a big part in like attracting young free agents. I mean, right. You're kind of almost following like what the Nets did. You're right there. Mm-hmm. Maybe not talent level. I, I would agree that the D'Angelo Russell Nets were a bit better, maybe even more than a bit better and just pure talent wise when they kind of made, when they made the playoffs that year. But I think, I think you certainly see the foundation for the Knicks being that team. Um, we can't say enough of what, Thibodeau has done for them and like they they really look like a fun they're a fun team to watch um it's a team where like I said like I haven't been a guy that's really turned on Nick games that much in the past few years and when the Knicks are playing you know I'm I'm watching you know I'm, I'm turning on the TV and, and I'm invested and I think you have a good a good core of guys um 
it's not an insanely talented roster, but I think it's one that has decent depth. I, I mean, I love Derek Rose. We mm-hmm. talked last week about the job Nerlens Noel has done filling in for Mitchell Robinson. Like you have pieces here that have really kind of played about above what we view them as. And that's really kind of helping this, this scrappy team that we're seeing. It helps us love them more, you know? Now, guys, with that being said, do you go out if you're the Knicks and try and acquire a Bradley Beal or acquire a Zach Levine if it means mortgaging some of your future, having to trade somebody like, say, R.J. Barrett or Julius Randle? Or would you guys be more okay with, say, sticking with what they have, being happy with the pieces they have, using those draft picks that you mentioned, um, and building the team that way and enticing free agents to come here because the team is heading in the right direction? Definitely, definitely the second option. I I hate the idea. I mean, listen, Bradley Beal's an awesome player. Zach Levine, like you just mentioned too, but I feel like giving up that draft capital and just a future, I feel like, and I also feel like coming, like, I don't know, like they're coming in as superstars right now. Like they would be probably the main option on the team and stuff like that. Just in my head, I feel like that would mess up like kind of like the way like the team chemistry and everything like it's been rolling with now. Like, you know, we have guys like quickly, Alec Burks that are coming off the bench, you know, playing good minutes. I feel like getting a guy like Bradley Beal that we're going to have playing 40 minutes a game, having the ball majority of the time, I feel like it's going to kind of mess up the way everything's been rolling. I think this is where me and um, John Franco and Tommaso differ differ a little bit. Um, I wouldn't mind trading Barrett and uh, some picks and maybe a piece here or two to try and get Beal, especially Bradley Beal, because I think just like where he's at talent-wise – I know Washington's not, they don't really want to trade him. He's not even like an option, but if you could get him, I just think Bradley Beal is going to be better than RJ bear will ever be. But I think, I think John Franco makes a really, really good point in the sense that like you have a really strong chemistry right now. It seems like the, the, for what they have, the team's really flowing and New York really seems to like it. Uh, And I made the comparison last week, uh, last week between the the 2017 Yankees and the 2018 Yankees after they acquire Stanton. If the Knicks get Beal, they're obviously not the powerhouse New York Yankees, but it does change the vibe a little bit. It's, it doesn't feel like that same scrappy team where you feel like every week you're an underdog, but an underdog that can go out and beat anyone. I think that's a special feeling to have. And that kind of is what, what's making the season so special for Knicks fans. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I think, um, I think that is, it has been a bit of a surprising year uh, for the Knicks. Um, and I'm kind of on the fence. The only reason I asked the question is because I'm not sure myself. Um, I think that if you get Bradley Beal in, he makes you better. But that depends on what you give up. If Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett are going the other way, mm. are you the same team in the same position now with less draft capital or less promising future players? Um, you know, you're not giving up Emmanuel quickly for anything right now. Uh, he's great. Uh, if Obi Toppin turns into the number eight pick uh, the injury early to the season really hurt him. But if he turns into the 20 point player that they expect him to be with him, with Barrett, with Randall, with quickly, you have a nice core. Derek Rose is a good veteran player. He's not going to be here forever, but he's good enough at the present moment to help this team. Of course, they're really missing him right now um, out due to, of course, COVID complications, mm-hmm. um, health and safety protocols. Let's call it that. We know what it is. It's COVID complications, but um if you get somebody maybe like Zach Levine, you don't have to give up as much. He may not be a star like Bradley Beal, but at least you keep, as you guys pointed out, that chemistry together. You keep the team kind of in the in the same way that it is now and still have your assets to build to the future and make a player want to come here, not get a player to come here through a trade. All right, so um, 
final thoughts uh, on this uh, basketball segment. If you're the Knicks, what team are you really hoping to play in the playoffs? I think I threw out last week the Celtics as a team. They've kind of battled well throughout the year. Looking at some of the teams that are in the running, what team do you feel okay playing in a round one? Oh, well, that's tough. Honestly, I'm trying to look at it now. Right now, as it stands, the Knicks are the seventh seed, so they would be actually matched up against Brooklyn. <laughs> not ideal. So, I don't. Yeah, not definitely not ideal <laughs> for us right now. But um, Bucks are the three seed. Heat four. Celtics five. Hornets six. Knicks seven. Like I just said, and then the Hawks are eight. And then the Raptors and the Pacers fall in that little uh, playing game. Um, I mean, I would. If we can move up to that 60, the Bucks I know, just, you know, gave us a run for our money, too. So that was pretty ugly. But, I mean, I feel like the Heat, the Celtics, the Hornets even. But the thing is, to play those teams, I feel like we would, you know, have to be in that 4-5 range. Mm. So the Knicks would definitely have to move up a little bit. And with the with the way the second half of the season's going. I mean, listen, they've already exceeded my expectations. So I can't, I can't like, you know, just throw them under the bus now and say, listen, hope for the best eight seed, whatever, and just, you know, be okay with that. So... I mean, I could see this team if they can play to their full potential. You know, they can. I feel like they can play with any team. So, I'm hoping that you know if they can slide into that five range, playing the Heat where it is now, I would feel comfortable with in a seven game series. I could definitely think we can match up well with them. Yeah, they played the Heat well yeah. in both games that they played. RJ missed that game winner at the end, that layup. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have yeah. tied the game, but yeah, those are two really tough losses. Where I think you watch those and you're like, this is a different Knicks team. Like they're hanging with. <laughs> the team that went to the NBA finals last year. And I get, you know, a bubble things might've been weird, but I mean, they, they made it to the finals. They're, they're an excellent team. And then the Knicks battled with them essentially two games in a row. Cause they played them back to back. Yeah. The game, the game I love to go to, to show like the Knicks, like just what they are this year is the loss to the, um the loss to the Clippers early in the year. It was such a close game. It was a great game down to like the final four minutes. And that's when, you know, Kawhi, Paul George, that's when, you know, you have those those superstars, and that's it. The Knicks ran out of gas. They ended up losing, I think, by 14 or something like that. But you see the resilience that they had the whole game. You know, they played an awesome game. Just at the end, that's what happens when you have superstars and, you know, you have these guys that just elevate to another level. And that's what I feel like the Knicks are missing. But, you know, to hang out, you know, to stay in that range with those guys for that, you know, three quarters of a game, I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, John Franco, I think you hit it on the head. They played defense very well. So in terms of matching up, they can match up against any good offensive team um, because they're so good on defense. The problem then is if they're as good as their defense is, if a team does score 120 points, who is helping you score 120? Mm-hmm. Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Derek Rose, maybe who else? Um, so in terms of who they match up against, you'd probably want them to, to face a team that's a little less gifted offensively. Um, the Celtics are gifted offensively. They're just not playing like it right now. Uh, the Heat that you guys mentioned, uh, taking a little dip this year. Those are two teams that I think they match up well against. Quite frankly, what you need to see is that this team, if they make the playoffs and if they end up be facing a one or two seed like the 76ers or the Nets, play hard. Uh, if you win a game, great. But just keep every game close. Make it seem like you know, you're know you're trending in the right direction. It's not going to be 130 to 110 like it was last night against the Bucks. You get a four-game series like that, it's pretty disheartening. Um if you could steal a game, if you hold the team to under 100 points, you'll get 110. You know, Julius Randle goes off, R.J. Barrett goes off. That That's, I think, a win for the Knicks. I know this isn't what Knicks fans want to hear. It's been a very long time since they've been uh, relevant and or competitive. Uh, you guys probably weren't even born 
uh, I know I barely remember uh, the nineties uh, when they, when they were successful. So um, that is uh, that I think is the goal. Uh, do they match up well with everybody? No. Can they win a game or two against one of the top teams? Sure. They did it against the bucks earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you want to get as close to the middle of the pack as you can. So you could play a four or five seed as opposed to a one, two or three. You have a better chance of winning a couple of games that way. All right, well, let's stay in Madison Garden, Madison Square Garden for a little bit. We'll switch out the court for the the uh, the hockey rink, the ice. Um, we'll talk some we'll talk some Rangers for a little bit here, Anthony. I know you're a Rangers fan, and just you know your thoughts on you know this team this season. I know I had higher expectations for them this year, and it's very much been I think a season of peaks and valleys. So, just overall thoughts on this team so far. Yeah, I think. Um... In terms of who's been hurt most by the realignment this year, it's probably the Rangers. Uh, they're the youngest team in hockey. Um, the Bruins enter their division, um, one of the best teams in hockey. Uh, if you looked at this team on paper, they were probably sixth in the division, which is not what Ranger fans want to hear. But, you know, um, they weren't better than the Flyers, the Bruins, the Penguins, the Islanders, or the Capitals. They just weren't. Um, they'll win a game or two against guys like that, but that's, that's not going to happen more often than not, that's not going to happen. And I know Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco and Igor Shesterkin, there was hype around the kids, uh, but they're kids. Uh, they're all young. And the veterans on this team really needed to have the seasons they had last year. Artemi Panarin, of course, due to the circumstances that he's had, hasn't been on the ice all that much. Mika Zibanejad's taken a huge step back this year. Could have been due to his uh, bout with COVID. Um, he says it isn't, but he definitely does not look like the same player. Um, maybe it's just taken him a while to get his feet under him. Um, uh, Ryan Strom has come on now, uh, but it, he he started off slow this year. Um, Lou, I understand. I get it. I, I know Ranger fans had high expectations. Um, the, what I looked at this season, I thought that they were about the sixth best team in the division. Are they playing like that? They might be playing worse sometimes. Uh, that last game against the Bruins was pretty <laughs> ugly. Um, they get shut out more often than not uh, this year. They didn't get shut out at all last year. They've been shut out by only two goalies this year, uh, Yaroslav Halak and Semyon Varlamov, but that that's happened more time that ha- that's happened multiple times already. Um, I guess they just have to finish this year strong. If Alexi Lafreniere continues to make strides, he seems to be finding his game. Uh, Capo Caco has come back from health and safety protocols, so if he can get get his feet under him again, and Philip Hedl looked good before his injury, I think that's the goal at this point. And the goaltending, they got to figure it out. Alex Georgiev has not been good this year. Uh, Igor Shesterkin is injury prone we might have to say because he he does have the groin injury now lower body injury it looks like it seemed like the groin uh mild groin strain they've called it um you know Henrik Lundqvist was in net for 15 years for this team and everybody seemed to know what they were going to get out of their goaltenders um but with Igor Shesterkin and Alex Georgiev they're gonna have to pick up the slack this defense is not as good as it has been in years past and um we'll see how the season ends but this is a tough stretch for them these two weeks are tough a lot of tough games against the Flyers, the Bruins, the Capitals. They're going to have to win a couple of these. Yeah, it's 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 been tough sometimes. At this point, I just hope, you know, Panarin's coming back. So with, with the bread man, I just hope that, you know, he kind of helps everyone pick it up a little bit. I've, I've been loving the way Kreider has played. Really, the only knock you could have in Kreider is that Mr. Harris beat him in flip when he was in college. That's, that's really it. <laughs> oh, see, that's um, huge. Yeah, and that, that, that's a, that, that's a big knock, you know. So that's he, I know he thinks about that every night, but um, <laughs> you know that that stretch where he had those two hat tricks, it, it's great, especially because you mentioned Mika just hasn't 
been the same. And it sucks because like, even right now, if you asked me which Rangers jersey do you want, I would have said Mika because I I just love the way he had played those last couple of years. And you know, it, it hurts to see him not play up to the expectations you have for him. And what, what hurts even more is that you see flashes every once in a while. That goal he scored, um, you know, that kind of looked like prime Zabanachan, like he did a little fake and he actually shot the shot the puck and it's great. And that's what you want to see from him. But uh, like just on power plays, like his slap shot is awful and power yeah. plays in general. Can I, um, Lou, let me just hop. I just want to say one thing. What's been, like, okay. So me with the Rangers, I grew up, I, I love the Rangers. I always watched them. I don't know why from like 2017 to like 19. I, I just, I, I don't know why. Like I lost my touch with the Rangers for a little bit. I got back with them last year. I love the team. And then obviously watching this year has just been a bunch of disappointment. But what is their consistent problems with giving up shorthanded goals on power plays? I've noticed that the past three games, and I want to throw my remote through the TV. <laughs> it is the most frustrating thing ever. That's that's my big question. I mean, I know, like, they obviously, um, like, losing uh, Tony D'Angelo a couple, uh, whatever, last month or whatever, yeah. those, those, team, those team's problems or whatever. But, I mean, like you said, Lou, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's just – yeah, just everything. I mean, Zibanejad coming in, you had expectations because he was playing amazing last year. Panarin, I think, is just the biggest issue right now, getting him back on the ice. That's just sketchy business in general. I don't know what's going on with that situation. We're going we're gonna to leave that. Hopefully he comes back soon, but it's just, I don't know, it's crazy right now. Yeah, I, let's talk about power plays. I'm glad that you brought that up because – this has been a problem, I think, for the last few years. Well, I'll just turn to my dad while we're on a power play. And it's either, oh, we're not scoring here. Or it's, you know, maybe if we're on a penalty kill, we'd have a better shot of scoring. And especially this year because our penalty penalty kill is so good. Like, whenever we're on a penalty kill, I'm really like, all right, we're in a good spot here. Like, we're going to shut this team down for two minutes. We're finally adding a little more pressure. But, yeah, the power play, I think it's been a problem for the last few years. Like it just, it doesn't seem like it's creative at all. Like there's a lot of standing around and look, there's a lot of passing. I get passing can set up shots, but sometimes it feels like we're just passing aimlessly without ever a hope or chance of score. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that uh, passing is an issue for this team. Um, I think uh, on one of their earlier stretches of bad games, Ryan Strom asked Alex Georgiev, Hey, are you seeing anything when you're in that? Like, what are we doing? And they, and he said, teams are anticipating that you guys are going to make a pass, whether it be on a two-on-one or on the power play. Uh, two-on-ones, uh, more often than not, they are going to uh, – uh, they're going to pass. They're going to pass as opposed to taking that shot. And on the Zabanjad goal you mentioned, Lou, and, of course, that was a forgettable game because the Penguins scored three goals in a minute and the rest was history in that game. But um, <laughs> it was a two-on-one with, with Alex Lafreniere, and he elected to take the shot as opposed to passing. Um, more often than not, you're going to see defenders go down to try and block Rangers' passes because they're anticipating that they're going to pass. Power play as well. Um, there's too much setup. There's not enough shots. And if you just try to get traffic in front of the net, Kreider parks himself right in front of the goalie. Uh, if you could just try and get a shot through, who knows what will happen. Uh, two goals went off John Marino's skate in the last <laughs> Penguins game. So, you know, if you just throw pucks at the net, you have a better chance of scoring, of course. Um, but those shorthanded opportunities, John Franco, that you mentioned, it just comes down to when you're trying to pass too much in the offensive zone on the power play, you're just out of position. Um, and if mm -hmm. they and if these if the three forwards that are on the other side break out out of the neutral zone, they're going to get a lot of two on one, three on one chances on your power play. Um, and right now 
guys like Alex Georgiev and Igor Shosturkin aren't stopping those shots. And they're backbreakers. Uh, Quinn has mentioned it multiple times. When they give up those shorthanded goals, it seems like it takes the wind out of their sails. Um, and they haven't been able to bounce back from it. So it is a big problem. Um, special teams is important, and they're really going to have to figure out the power play. There's enough talent on this team. Maybe when Panarin comes back, um, that'll help them. Uh, yeah, but- John Franco, he said he's, he's playing tonight, right? Yeah. It's the Bruins. Got, yeah. Just and that's got, huge. Just said that he's back today. Yeah, and that's huge because they're going to need him. They're going to need him if they want to have any success for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I think like one of the issues – it, it goes back to last year when we watched the Rangers play Carolina. I think it was very, for me, it was humbling because it was like, yeah, we really can't handle pressure. Like Carolina just dominated us that entire series just by playing up. And it was like, yeah, we, we can't pass well under pressure. And I think that pressure hasn't been as big of an issue as it was in those games, but that's because of that game, those, that series was horrible. But yeah, I, the Rangers really don't pass well under pressure. And sometimes they just don't pass well at all. Like I think, it was the last game my dad was like, Trooper hasn't had a single pass that hasn't been deflected. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. we're in one of those stretches where it's like, especially, you know, you come off those two wins against the Devils. You're like, look at this, the offense, it's, it's rolling. And you go into Pittsburgh. I was like, all right, let's see what happens. I was at my cousin's house. I was like, let's see how this goes. And it's just, it, it brings you back down to earth. It's mm-hmm. It's tough. Pittsburgh's probably the fifth team in that division, right? So if you can't beat them with any type of consistency, how do you expect to beat a team like the Bruins, team like the Capitals, team like the Islanders, who are great? Islanders are one of the best teams in hockey uh, this season. So there is a lot of excitement in New York. It's just not at Mm. the Garden at the present moment. The more excitement, I should say. Everybody's Nick fans are excited about the Knicks, Um, but the Rangers still have a long way to go in this rebuild. And um, the Islanders and the Nets might be uh, carrying the Barclays Center to championships this year. Yeah, well, I mean, look, if it comes playoffs and the Rangers aren't in it, I know I'll be rooting for the Islanders. I've never had really a problem with that. I have a I, – Tomasa, you're an Islanders fan, right? And then Luke Orlando is an Islanders fan. So, uh, listen, I oh, love their – party foul. No, we can't have that. We can't? All right. <laughs> no, you can't have that. It's a little different. All right, all right guys, it's a little different. With Yankees, Mets, they're not in the same league. They play yeah. each other three to six times a year. Who cares? Outside of fans arguing back and forth, where's the rivalry there, really? Outside of the Subway Series in 2000. When you play in the World Series, all bets are off. But that goes for anything. Um, You talk about that. The Giants and the Jets, yeah, they had the little Snoopy Bowl, and they play them at Life Stadium, and that's great, and whatever. (laughs) They play each other once every four years, and they play once in a meaningless preseason game that you can't even name half the players on the team. (laughs) So the rivalry there, whatever. The big rivalries would have to be Rangers, Islanders, Devils, all in the same division. Listen, I'll never root for the Devils. That's okay. Well, we're getting somewhere. Then we're getting somewhere. (laughs) And of course, now we've got hopefully the Knicks and the Nets, because with them being in now the same state, not even just the same division, that'll be fun. But I feel like if you're a New York fan, you can't root for the Knicks and the Nets. You can't root for the Rangers and the Islanders. I'm never rooting for the Islanders during the season per se. But like, look, if the Rangers aren't in the playoffs, if it, if it comes Nobody down wins. to the if it comes down to the Islanders <laughs> and a bunch of other teams that I really have no stake in, at the end of the day, I consider myself a family man. I've got a lot of cousins that root for <laughs> for the Islanders. I'm trying to uphold my family values, and at the end of the day, I I'm not completely torn up over you know seeing my family enjoy happiness. So well, that, that's what makes you a man for others, Lou. Yeah, listen, that's why I go to Xavier. This that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, 
But I know if Don LaGreca was here, he'd call me a fraud. So that's correct. We'll, we'll ease <laughs> off of this. We'll ease off of this conversation, and we'll shift on to. Uh, we're going to finish with baseball, but real quick, I do want to get into some football. Anthony, I know you're a Giants fan, and there's you know we're getting into uh, you know the off season here. They just franchise tagged Leonard Williams. Mm-hmm. I've been talking a lot with uh, with friends and just going into the draft and free agency. What are you looking for specifically? Because I know the guys that they've been telling me they want. Um, one of my friends was like, I'd love Curtis Samuel as a wide receiver too, especially if we can go out and draft either Kyle Pitts or one of the top three wide receivers. Um, you know, where do you stand on both? Yeah, I think I think the goal in the, the first draft pick for the Giants has to be either a pass rusher or a wide receiver. Uh, Jalen Waddle is probably there at I think they're 11th or 10th something like that um, that's probably where I would go uh, this team does have a lot of holes they don't have a lot of money so that's going to be interesting um, but uh, the question then is is Daniel Jones your quarterback I'm not saying draft a quarterback this year um, but I think that Gettleman and and Joe Judge seem to be in lockstep that Daniel Jones is their future so then you got to give him help uh, give him an offensive line, give him some weapons. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley went out last year, Wayne Gallman did a serviceable job, but they just released golden Tate. He was their number one wide receiver heading into the year. Uh, that's not going to get it done. If you can get a guy like, let's say Kenny Galladay, or, you know, you draft the Jalen Waddle and he is your number one wide receiver or Kyle Pitts. And he's your tight end slash number two target because apparently Mel Kuyper says he's the best tight end he's ever graded. And Mel Kuyper has been doing this for a very long time. So if he's your best tight end, he better be Gronk, Kittle, or Kelsey, and especially if you're taking him 10th. Um, uh, but I, I think that that's probably the way you would go uh, if you were the Giants. Um, John Franco, I saw you had a Jets helmet. The Jets have some interesting decisions to make, don't they? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Jets fan. So. Oh, Tommaso. Well, you know what? Yeah. Uh, do you For you, do you want to see them draft a quarterback, or, or do you want to see them trade for Deshaun Watson, or are you happy with Sam Donald? Still in the mix. Like, I'm still like, I was talking with John Franco last night about, it. I don't know, because I love Zach Wilson. Like, I think he could be very good, but I still have this small hope that Sam Donald can still turn out to be like, if we get him the help he needs, he can like turn into like, you know, what he was supposed to be at the third pick. But I don't know. I think this offseason, we have all, we have so much money. We have the draft pick. I think we just need a, whoever is playing QB in September, we need to like, get no line and get like a true number one receiver. I don't know. I, I'm, I, I still don't know if I want Darnold or to draft someone. Obviously Watson, the, the only thing with him is we would have to give so much. And I don't know if I want to do that, but yeah. Personally, I'm just glad I'm not making the decision, honestly. It's so, it's so tough. It's such a tough – because it just – like Tommaso said, we were talking about it yesterday. It's with – you know, you think about Darnold. It, no matter what, just the way that the QB market's gone, you know, if he has a decent year this year, he's going to have to get 20, 25 mil at least, you know, to keep him around. The thing that attracts me about drafting a guy like Wilson is now, okay, now it's a reset. We have four years. You know, he's under the rookie contract. We don't have to pay our quarterback. So that's – that's what's attracting me to him, but it's just, it's such a tough choice. I'm happy. You know, they are finally, it seems like they got the right guy, Rob Sala, you know, coming in coach Gase has just been, there's so many words to describe, you know, 
done. <laughs> so it's just that got awful. But hopefully, you know, bringing in Lafleur now, you know, to run the offense too. It looks like, you know, they're getting the right system in. It's just, it's tough though. Like Tommaso said though, we have draft capital and Joe Douglas, you know, has shown last year too. He loves, you know, trading back to, trading back at their round pick, let him get it a fourth and a fifth. He just loves getting draft capital. So that's why I said, and Tommaso hinted too about a lot of money in the salary cap. I don't expect them, honestly, to make a huge splash this year in free agency signing people because it doesn't seem like Joe, Joe Douglas wants to go that route. I mean, he's already shown. It seems like he's very patient. They're quiet about the moves that they want to make. I don't think they're going to drop all 70 mil, you know, quick. That's it. And just build with that team. I could see them, you know, taking the slow route, building through the draft, you know, sign a big free agent here and there and, you know, going, going about it like that. But I think definitely for sure they have, I think we were talking about Tommaso Thune, the, um, the guard from uh, New yeah. England. That should definitely be a priority, you know, beefing up the online, get someone for Beckton too, to help them out. Um, I know the um, the Redskins, I think, just franchise tagged the Sheriff. I really liked him, too, the other guard. But just that's why with the second pick, I was so – I've been bouncing around. I was a big fan of even drafting the uh, the kid out of Oregon, um, Penny Sewell. If you think about it, having Becton and, you know, Sewell for your left and right tackle for the next 10 years, you know, you have a solid foundation at your own line. And, you know, that's how big teams – you see these Super Bowl winning teams, they build their teams on the offensive line and the defensive line. That's where it all starts, you know, in the trenches. And I don't know. I just feel like they're in a good spot right now, the Jets, but they need to make the right choices. There's so many routes that they can go, but they need to start off with making the right choice. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it starts at the quarterback position. So, I mean, I guess on draft night, we're going to see what they go. And, John Franco, you want to talk about, like, offensive line. Like, there are going to be a lot of offensive linemen dropped this year. They already have. The the Chiefs dropped Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. And especially yeah. Mitchell Schwartz is a, is a pretty good – Oh, Lyman, the Giants drop Zeitler. So, like, you're going to have options if you if you want to pick up one of those veteran guys. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if the Jets kind of want to want to go that route. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, like you said, I don't really envy your decision because I think either way, there's going to be a lot of questions going into next year. There's, I don't think there's – the only route you go into where, like, you're like, oh, we're set is if you trade for Deshaun Watson. I think that's the only way – you're like very, very confident with the state of your quarterback position going into next year. But yeah, the thing yeah. about Watson, I can't see them, my bad, Tommaso, but just, you know, about Watson, I can't see them giving up, what, three, four first round picks. That's what you know, I'd be like yeah, at the end of the day. That's what I'm saying. You know, it's going to be a lot. And like I said, too, Joe Douglas loves draft cap. I can't see them going down that route. Don't get me wrong. Deshaun Watson is amazing. He's top five quarterback in the league. Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, <laughs> amazing so I mean going after going after him I mean you solidify your your quarterback position but you know we've been seen in the past having an amazing quarterback doesn't mean you're already you know a playoff contender it doesn't mean you're going after the division I mean they're already in a pretty tough decision as it is I mean the Bills you know what they look like they're obviously a competitive team Miami I don't know what they're doing with Tua what they're going after but they're building something there New England's always going to be New England. No matter what they have, Belichick's always going to put out a competitive team, so we know that. So, you know, they're still at the bottom of that barrel right now. But with the assets that they have between the draft and all the free agency money, I can definitely see them, you know, obviously improving from 2-14. and 14. That needs to be the number one priority right now. And just, you know, getting back to a winning culture, hopefully that, you know, Salah and these guys can build. But there's just there's so many ways right now. It's tough to call what they're going to do, but... It's just hopefully they make the right choice. 
All right, I want to throw this one out here to um to Mr. Harris and Anthony, who are both Giants fans. Giants have an interesting thing going on with their safeties. You have Logan Ryan, you have Jabril Peppers, and you have Xavier McKinney, who they drafted last year, and he got the interception that um kind of sealed the Cowboys game, but then it got scary because Wayne Gallman fumbled. That was a whole different thing. Um, would you guys be in support? I know Logan Ryan actually wants to play safety, but for most of his career, he played cornerback. And one of the Giants' biggest needs on defense, maybe their biggest need besides edge rusher, is a, a second cornerback. Is that something you see them doing, sliding one of those guys down to play corner? Or do you think they're going to kind of stick with what they did last year where they kind of rotate those three safeties in and, and, and use them a lot? Go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, uh, I think I think that uh, Patrick Graham does not a good job of kind of mixing things up. Um, he's He found a way to get all three involved. Um, I think it's an interesting point you bring up, Lou, and it's something that they might be able to explore. Um, but I don't necessarily want to do that with McKinney. I don't want to make him have to learn a new position when yeah. he already lost half of last year. Um, Logan Ryan seems to be pretty comfortable in that position. And as much as I like the way Jabril Peppers plays, he does get hurt a lot. So uh, it might not even be a problem they have to worry about. Um, but I think rotating those guys in is probably the way to go. And I think beefing up the corner position is something they do have to uh, look at and work on because outside of James Bradbury, it was uh, very scarce. So hopefully they could pick up something in the draft or uh, get a veteran guy, kind of like they did with Bradbury, where the, a team released him and and they and they take a shot uh, with uh, with another corner. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, uh, I definitely wouldn't want McKinney trying to learn cornerback. Um, like, I yeah, basically, I'm just gonna steal Anthony's answer. <laughs> nah, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want one of my friends kind of suggested that. I was like. Yeah, just let the kid play safety. If you're going to move anyone to cornerback, it's going to be Logan Ryan. But even then, you know, you have your your reservations because, you know, he seems really comfortable playing safety. And he was really good last year in that position. Like, it's part of the, well, if it worked last year, why are you going to mess with it? Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they, that's one of their weaknesses, that they, if they target a, a second cornerback. It's also probably not their biggest issue because I think, for what it's worth, their defense was really good last year. The biggest issues are going to be right, uh, you know, beefing up the wide receiver position, beefing up the O line a little bit. Uh, you know, if you believe in Daniel Jones, which I do, and I think a lot of Giants fans on this podcast do, and then you, know, you can have Saquon and Wayne Gallman as a great one-two punch in the backfield. Uh, I think you would feel pretty confident if you get you know one of those nice first-round wide receivers and, and maybe signing a guy like Curtis Samuel. Uh, I think that puts you in, in a really good spot. And then um, I know the Ravens are shopping Orlando Brown, who's a great young left tackle. Uh, I mean, I think it, it would be worth trying to see maybe. I think he's got a pretty friendly contract looking after that. Uh, they probably have to give up a decent bit. So they have options. Yeah, I think also the other way you look at it is we talked about how a pass rush is needed. The best way to help out your secondary is to get a pass rush, get get somebody that can rush the quarterback. Um, because then you don't have to worry about your corners holding on to wide receivers down the field for 15 yards. Um, the quarterback's already on the ground. Um, but we do have to be careful as Giants fans because you could be in the situation that John Franco and Tommaso are next year of, do we like Daniel Jones? Should we trade him for a quarterback? Should we draft a quarterback? You don't want to be in that position that – uh, the Jets are in um, through no fault of their own other than really Adam Gase. Um, I don't really think Sam Darnold has gotten a fair shake. You don't want to have that same conversation if you're a Giants fan next year. I don't think Daniel Jones has gotten a fair shake and we don't know what we have in him. Um, 
I think that there is a potential still in Sam Darnold, and I think that Daniel Jones does have potential. But you have to build teams around them that will make them successful. Um, and neither team has done that yet. Yeah, I really like Daniel Jones. I think I was looking at like footballreference.com and like through like six weeks in the season, Daniel Jones was the most pressured quarterback in the NFL. And it's it's tough because I really like his talent. I really like what he brings to the table. Uh, one of our friends, Billy Rosakis, was talking to us the other day, and he was like, yo, Daniel Jones is really big. Like, he's actually a huge guy. And his athleticism, it's nothing to sniff at, right? He, we, we always joke he hit that, like, that 21 miles per hour. And unfortunately, <laughs> he fell after that. That's kind of what everyone remembers. But, I mean, that, that 21 miles per hour is thrown out there. He's, he's got some great athleticism. I really like his arm talent. I think, um, you know, the, the way he throws the deep ball, it, it's, not that, it's not that bad. I think the biggest thing Giants fans want right now is, is a legitimate deep threat because Slayton kind of was that the year before, but then this year he really wasn't. And I felt like he kind of misjudged some of those deep balls this season. And then, you know, who were your other targets? It was Evan Ingram who, when he could catch the ball is probably a decent deep threat, but we we've joked all year. Posio has gone on many a rant about how he's got bricks for hands. <laughs> and then your other two options are like five ten, five eleven. That That was uh, Sterling Shepard and golden Tate. So, I mean, last year you didn't really have those great deep threats. Uh, the question I want to throw out to you guys is who do you prefer if we're drafting a wide receiver? I know even Kyle Pitts would say uh, they, people have talked about playing Kyle Pitts as a wide receiver because of how athletic he is. Do you take Kyle Pitts? Do you take Waddle? If Devonta Smith's there, that's a huge if. Are you going that route, Jamar Chase? Who's the guy you want out of those four? They seem committed to Evan Ingram. So unless you make pitch the wide receiver, like kind of a wide receiver. Um, and I don't think Pitts will last that long with how hype he has been. I, I think you're probably going in the, the direction of a Smith or a Waddle, whoever's there at wide receiver. Um, and if none of them are there, maybe you trade back and you try and get more assets. Um, but I, I think that it's Waddle or I'd probably prefer Waddle or Smith uh, over Pitts um, and just try and make sure you get a, a surefire wide receiver, not a tight end wide receiver flex combo kind of guy. Yeah, I would agree with that just because also like, yeah, Pitts seems great, but most first round wide uh, tight ends mm. in the past few years have, you know, really not panned out, including Evan Ingram, who still has talent and can still be good. But it just seems like it always takes a few more extra years for a tight end to, you know, get it going than a wide receiver. So I would definitely want one of the like Smith or uh, Waddle. Yeah, it's it's a fun conversation to have, and I think it's one that we will continue to have as soon as um, free agency starts. But I think we'll and the final sport we will talk about is where we're just making the rounds. We'll we'll end with some baseball, and baseball is like shockingly close. I think it's like 19 days away now, the start of the season. I mean, it's it's just flying by. Um, so I have you guys been uh, monitoring spring um, monitoring spring training at all for your teams? Yeah, here and there. I've kept an eye on it. Um, I've Obviously, I have the, the fortune of hearing from Michael Kay and seeing how the Yankees are doing as well. So that, that, that always helps That'll me help. out. Um, yes. Uh, but no, I, I've kept an eye on the Yankees and the Mets. Um, injury concerns for both. Carrasco, you're a little concerned about if you're a Met fan. Um, Luke Voigt's dealing with some something with his leg. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a big deal, but uh, th- that could be a problem. Um, right in. Britain is hurt. Britain, yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot about Britain. 
Um, yeah, but I, I think that there are high expectations for both of these teams this year. So New York should be excited about the baseball season. Yeah, I think I do want to kind of start off with the Yankees. You don't want to say it again because this is the only thing we're, we're praying doesn't happen. But, you know, the injury bug. We've been around this road before. Um, this is not the first major one because Clark Schmidt was probably not ma- making the MLB roster. I mean, he had a shot, but, you know, Zach Britton was going to be your guy. He was going to be your main setup man. We saw him last year when Chapman was out with COVID, how well Britton did. He kind of shined in that role and reminded us a lot of that. Uh, was it 2015 when he had like a 0.53 ERA and was just amazing? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really think like he was there. You know, he's their go-to guy in the pen and it just it really shakes up everything you really you force chad green into that setup man role he can obviously do it i mean his fastball is elite he's got some good off speed stuff that he's developed to make him uh, a pretty elite reliever but i think what we're going to see happen is uh the role of justin wilson is going to become a lot bigger yeah. uh with Britton out i i think they're saying till may uh, you know, he's going to be that left, that lefty reliever. And, you know, maybe before Britain got hurt, he was, you don't have specialists anymore, but like going up against lefties, if that was like, there's a part of a lineup that you wanted to attack with a lefty pitcher. Now I think, you know, he's your seventh inning guy because he's younger. Darren O'Day is, I really like Darren O'Day. And over the past two years, I think it's like 20 something innings. So not a huge sample size, but it's like a 1.2 ERA. Like he's pitched well when he had the opportunity. Uh, he's, he's, he's a little older. So, I mean, you probably don't want to give him as many innings as Justin Wilson, but you know, those signings, it becomes that much more important to have, to have those guys in your pen. And then the role of Johnny, Johnny Wazica, he's going to have to step up a little bit as Mm -hmm. probably a guy that's going to see some more leverage innings. Uh, Maybe, maybe a Nick Nelson. It's going to be interesting for this bullpen opening day. You're not going to have Chapman. He's suspended. You're not going to have Britain. Your closer is Chad Green going into opening day. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, Chad Green's uh, role obviously um, is heightened as well as Darren O'Day uh, with the loss of, of Britain. Of course, Chapman comes back after the, the suspension, so that, that's not a huge loss at the present moment uh, until you see like a 4-3 game on the opening day and then you get yeah. a little concerned. Um, but I think also the, the thing that both the Yankees and the Mets have to be mindful of here is starting pitching. Um, you know, the Mets don't have Noah Syndergaard. That's obviously a big loss. I think getting Marcus Stroman back is a huge help. You hope that Carlos Carrasco is healthy. Uh, Jacob deGrom is probably the best pitcher in baseball. Um, and with the Yankees, you're relying on Jamison Tyone and Corey Kluber, who have both been, as you pointed out, Lou, uh, injured. And uh, the injury bug seems to catch up to this Yankees team more often than not. Uh, Luis Severino and I not expected back until the summer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting pitching is going to be big for both of these teams. Uh, you know, with Garrett Cole and Jacob DeGrom, you have a good chance of winning every five days after that. There's, uh, there's a lot of question marks. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is question marks. Um, with the Yankees, it just, you know, like you pointed out with Tyon and Kluber, we have the potential in the rotation. You know, we know what Sevy brings to the table too, but you know, hasn't pitched in a while. So it's just, I feel like, you know, there's always just one thing about this team that just keeps it just keeps like, you know, pushing us away from just getting over that hump. It's always been injuries. And now this year it's big on could Kluber, could Tyon, you know, be these guys that could stay healthy and, you know, be a solid two and three behind Cole in the rotation. Your man, you know, hopefully he can come back and, you know, he can be the guy that he was also. He was solid for us. You know, with the firepower that the offense brings, if we can get a healthy judge and a healthy stand and, you know, get these guys, Glaber going back to his 
2019 waves. Last year, you know, that was an off year for him. But LeMahieu, we know what we're going to get out of him. The guy's, you know, just all he does is hit. It's, it's amazing. But, you know, with these guys, you know, giving Cole this big money, we're expecting him to be obviously an ace. You know, that's what he is. So we're, there's high expectations for him. But, you know, I feel like personally, if Kluber, if Tyon, if these guys can keep, you know, sub four, you know, middle of the pack, like, you know, three, 3.5 ERA, something like that, with what the offense brings to the table, you know, I feel like that's a that's something that, you know, all the Yankees fans would love. Like, you know, we don't need them going out there and being Garrett Cole and being Jacob deGrom. But if they can, you know, just give us solid innings, then get hopefully when Britton, when Chad Green, you know, whenever and when, when we have our full bullpen, you know, then we can have them going into five, six innings. You know, that's all we need from them. Once we get to the seventh inning, I feel like when we have a fully healthy bullpen, we're perfectly fine with having Chad Green, Britton, and then Chapman. So, you know, that's something that all Yankees fans would love. And that's it. It's just a big question mark. But, you know, if things can fall into place, that would be awesome for the team. John Frank, I love what you said about, like, kind of the goal for, like, the uh, the other guys in the rotation besides Garrett Cole. And I think, right, so Tyone, Kluber, Herman, Garcia have all looked great mm-hmm. in spring training. I know you don't want to put too much into that. Um, but, like, I think – I'm really excited for this rotation. I think it has the potential to be the best one in really years. I mean, you look at the guys after Cole and it's amazing that we can lose Seve and Clark Schmidt and still say that, you know, we have options. Like if you're, mm-hmm. when you look at Kluber, Tyone, Herman, Garcia, Montgomery, you're just asking for out of those five guys to start the season. Give me three of them that can pitch below a four year A. I don't think that's crazy unrealistic. I think out of all those guys, even before we get Seve back and maybe even Clark Schmidt, like give me one or two that, you know, you hit on. I don't think it's unrealistic. I mean, I think it it would honestly be unrealistic to say that all five of those guys just completely tank. It's an option. I don't want to tempt fate here. So I'm trying to be a little reserved. Again, I'm not asking for Kluber to be Cy Young material, even though if you look at his baseball reference, you know, sheet, it was 2018. He was a Cy Young contender. Like he it's, he's not that far removed from prime Corey Kluber. Um, but all I'm asking for, right. Give me a couple of those guys that can stay under, under sub four. And I think this rotation is in a pretty good spot. I think John Franco, we've talked about how we love that for the first time, there's really an interesting battle for the fifth spot. It's not like, yeah. all right, who are we signing at the fifth spot? It's whoever we have, whoever's available. It's, you know, there's a battle here. You know, Davey Garcia or Domingo Herman could end up in the bullpen. And that's, I think, a really exciting thing for this Yankees team. I think so too, Lou, just to, you know, go up on that. Like, like you just said, seeing them in the bullpen, I can really see the Yankees with that fifth spot, even, you know, with a six man rotation going after, uh, going after like an opener, you know, doing stuff that we've seen in the past. I feel like we can see that we, you know, mix in, you know, Garcia to, you know, throw three innings at the beginning of the game and then having your mom, you know, finish another three or four. I feel like that's a route that they can take too, you know, on an extra rest day for Cole or something like that in the middle of the season. I can definitely see them going that route. And Montgomery too, that you just mentioned. I I feel like we're down. I don't know why. This is just, you know, my mindset on him. I feel like that game four start versus Ray in the Amazing. DS. I, I just like my, like, I just feel like that was such a big game for him personally. Because you know, I feel like as Yankees fans, like we, he obviously then he was hurt. I think it was uh 2018 or 19 he, he had the injury. He was out for a whole year. I think I think it was Tommy John or something with his arm. He had a big injury, I remember, a few years back. But just I feel like, you know, he's kind of just been kind of like a back-end guy. No one's really, like, you know, spoken about him that much. I feel like that game four star could really be like a momentum booster for him. Everyone was behind him. I feel like that was a huge game for him personally. 
And, you know, to see him pitch and, you know, one of the biggest games that we lose that game where, you know, we're, we're going home to pitch a great game like that. I feel like that would be huge for That was a huge game for him. And I feel like having him in, as a lefty too, because, you know, this is a very heavy right-handed uh, Yankees team. Having a lefty in the, um, as a pitcher is just huge. And um, if he can, you know, pan out and be, like we just said, a sub four guy, anything that can help at this point, anything. As long as we have arms, there's never too many arms on a baseball team. So if we can get the pitching, you know, to turn it around, we know what this team can be. Yeah. Um, Anthony, you have any thoughts on the, on the, the Yankees starting rotation before you kind of move on to another topic? Yeah, I think that, uh, look, I, I want to be as optimistic as you guys. I really do. Um, I just, I don't, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I believe in Cole. Um, I think Montgomery is fine. I don't think he's more than a fourth or fifth starter in my opinion. Um, it really, and like I said, it comes down to Tyone and Kluber. Um, if, if they pitch, Kluber's look great. Tyone's look great in spring training. Uh, if they can give you five, six innings of one, two run ball more often than not, the Yankees will be in good shape and they have the offense to be able to combat a bad rotation, um, but it really just comes down to health for these guys. Staying healthy, uh, can Kluber get through a full season? Can Tyone get through the full season? Um, I think that would be even more impressive than the sub three, the sub three point five or around three ERA that you guys are talking about. Uh, I just the health of this team is always a question mark. Um, I think that pit that the pitching is, I think their bullpen is fine when it's healthy, um, and I think that the starters are going to be the big thing for the for the Yankees this year. Um, believe in Cole. I believe in Severino when he comes back. Um, I think Monty will be serviceable enough. Um, I'm interested to see how Debbie Garcia develops. And then it's really the, the key factors are Kluber and Tyone. Those are the two that you really have to look at and see what are we getting out of them. And um, they could still win the AL East without them being good. Uh, it just depends on how far they'll go in the playoffs, which is really for Yankee fans, all that really matters. Yeah. Now, you know, we're talking about the rotation opening day. Come postseason, you're going to have Seve. So, I mean, that's just another right. guy that you can – another arm that you can go to. But uh, we're talking about starting rotations. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Mets. I think the third best rotation in baseball. I, yeah, I, I think even that. Mets fans would agree probably to start the season we're putting the Mets and the and – the, or no, the Padres and the Dodgers ahead of them. But, I mean, just the other day, I think I saw the MLB post. DeGrom's hitting 102. Get yeah, out. Get out here. Can he's he get better? Can he get? I mean, I don't understand. Like he's already the best pitcher yeah. in baseball. Now he's hitting 102. He what in three innings he struck out seven. Like come on, man. <laughs> yeah, they have some depth on that on that rotation too. They have some they have some depth there. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, Degrom again with the Carrasco kind of nagging injury. That's a little concerning uh, with no Syndergaard. Um, you know, depth is great until somebody gets hurt, and then you got to see what you got. I think Walker was a nice signing for them too. Just a back end guy, so you're not relying on Drew Peterson and Seth Lugo all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you take a look at it, and Degrom. I think it was the last spring training game. He pitched three innings and struck out seven, and he and he retired all nine. I mean, he is he is just on, an, and he's throwing 102, like you guys said. He's he's in another class of his own. Could probably win another Cy Young if he wants in his sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And, and with that, I, I think with, the, with what Steve Cohen has done with this team, he's not afraid to, to spend money. Um, and he's not afraid to make changes if he has to. If he sees that the starting rotation is a problem, he will make a move. Um, but I, I think going into the season, you have to feel pretty good as a Met fan of where your team is. Here's my question. Yeah. For, yeah. No, you go, Mr. Harrison. No, go ahead. My question for you, Mr. Harrison, it stays with the starting rotation, is right. Your rotation right now, it's DeGrom, Carrasco, 
Strowman, Tywin Walker, David Peterson at the five, waiting for Syndergaard to get back, but he's slated for like June, July. If one of those guys gets hurt, who gets hurt? Who's coming in as like another option? One of the things we talk about the Yankees is that even if they suffer another injury, they'll have an arm to plug in that you're at least mildly confident in. I don't know the Mets roster as well as you guys do. So who's that guy if one of those guys gets hurt? I mean, the most likely options, because I think now that they sign these guys, Lugo is going to stay in the bullpen, which is probably the smart move. Yeah. But uh, it's going to be either Joey Lucchese, who they got from the yeah. Padres, or um, oh, why is his name slipping me right now? Uh, I mean, they got the guys, Sean Reed Foley from the Blue Jays. Um, who, who am I thinking of? I can't think of the other the last guy. Yes, Yama, the Mar- Yama, 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 Yama. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So those would be like the probably the first three options I would imagine up unless they, you know, sign some more minor league depth. But um, and they're those guys are solid fives, you know. You're not gonna expect too much from them. They have some upside, you know, if everything breaks right, but in best case scenario, they're no more than like a four or five. But they're okay if somebody gets hurt to run out there, you know. Sure. That's why they signed them, building on the depth, like Sandy Alderson said at the beginning of the offseason. Yeah, and then staying with pitching, like, is this the most excited you guys have been for your bullpen in recent memory? Probably. I would say so. Like, <laughs> Trevor May, Edwin Diaz, like, they're all, they got kind of question marks, but Edwin Diaz, since 2019 and the first three starts of uh, last year, has been phenomenal. Uh, Trevor May is really good. You can hope Batantis uh, gets better. You know, if he gets his velocity, his if he gets form. his velocity up, I mean, that's a great fourth reliever. Yeah, yeah. You, you can bump him up. Go. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of upside, but also a lot of question marks. But yeah, you got to be got to be very hopeful and optimistic about this bullpen and all the start, all the pitching, really. I mean, Poe said to me, I didn't even realize how good Edwin Diaz was last year. And 25 innings, a 1.75 ERA, and a 2.44 ERA plus. Like, Edwin Diaz put together a pretty good comeback year after 2019, which was just a crap show. Um, So, I, you know, he's still a question mark, I think. But I think you go in uh, with some confidence that he can pitch well, I think, between Lugo, who's been everything you could ask for in the bullpen, and Trevor May, who I really, really like. And, you know, some of the other arms that you mentioned, I think you really have, at least for those top three to four spots, which is really the important spots of your, of your bullpen. Depth is great, but if you can get those top four guys to be lights out, you're in a pretty good spot. Uh, I would I would say right now, like, you might even give a, a healthy Yankees bullpen uh, a run for their money. I mean, I might give the Yankees the edge, and I'm probably a little biased there, but I think, I think you can certainly compete in that aspect. Yeah, the Yankees are definitely more established, you know, um, than the, and have a few less question marks other than health, but that's the same for, you know, kind of any bullpen. Mm. But, yeah, I think they're they're pretty close, I would say. I mean, Lou, we spoke about it, you know, just um, big picture stuff. I'm just saying for New York baseball in general. We were talking about it, you know, a few months ago. It's just we're so excited for the season because, you know, there's so much, you know, potential for both teams. And I feel like it's the first time in a while that both teams are going to be, you know, very competitive and, you know, both their respected um, leagues. So I just feel like that's going to be huge. It's going to bring everything back. And, you know, it just makes the Subway Series. It makes, you know, everything more fun in New York. And 
at the end of the day, just New York sports has not been a great thing for us in uh, mm-hmm. recent years. So I, I feel like, you know, any fun we can get is just going to be huge. Yeah, I said it before, I'll say it again. This is my favorite rivalry purely because, you know, you're going to school with a bunch of Mets fans. And so, yeah. you know, you're always going to be able to have this banter when we take some trips to, if we're going to Yankee game or a, or a Met game, and mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be able to go as a group and see the Yankees play the Mets. I don't know how realistic that is. I guess I don't, I don't think they play until September, but mm-hmm. I mean, even then, if we're just taxing each other, like the banter is going to be fun. We've had just full out arguments uh, on this pod. And I know it's only going to get, it's only going to get worse once the season starts <laughs> and, and things start happening. I know I'm going to hear Alonzo's better than Voight and <laughs> insults are gonna get hurled our way john franco it's gonna be it's gonna be rough but i mean that's what you gotta love if you're a sports fan especially when you're in new york you want to you love to have this back and forth yeah oh and speaking of insults hurled in the direction of a person gary sanchez has been (laughs) the focus of a lot of slander not slander he's been he's been the focus of a lot of contempt and uh insults that some are justified some are a little extreme he was not good last year. He kind of got benched in the playoffs for Higgy, who has become a fan favorite. Um, now in spring training, he's raking. He seems to be getting his timing right. Like the last home run hit went like halfway up a light tower. And I think it's 500 feet. I don't care what StatCast says. It looked like 500 feet, maybe more. Uh, my big thing is I know there's no win for Gary Sanchez. It kind of sucks because like he can do great in spring training and if you go on talking yanks's instagram all the comments are it's spring training he's playing against yeah. he's playing against bums or it's why is he hitting home runs i'd rather him hit four singles it's like all right can we just appreciate <laughs> that he's not striking out like let's That's take babies let me take baby steps here listen lou like we said before too last year's season was just abysmal there's no other way to put it so i feel like you know you really can't go down from where it was, we've seen, we've seen flash from we saw that twenty that what was it twenty seventeen that twenty eighteen season he was phenomenal. Even I mean, twenty nineteen wasn't that bad. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Listen, we know you know what you get from him. He's, I think it's fair to say I don't think this is a stretch. Just coming from a Yankees fan, he is in the top tier of hitting catchers in the league. I think that's without a doubt. When he's on his roll, you know when he's when he's at his full self. When he's you know when when he's his true self, we know what he brings to the table. Defense, it does get a little shaky. We've seen flashes, you know, in like, you know, recent times that he is improving, which is good to see. He blocked Cole really well in that that's spring yeah. training game. He threw that's, a bunch of fastballs and sliders in the dirt. Gary was on that right every time. That's so, huge for me because, you know, we, we saw that Cole was alluded to um, Higgy a lot. You know, he, he liked pitching to him. They had that thing going. So, you know, I'm hoping that Gary can get on the same page with these pitchers and, you know, be our everyday guy, hopefully. But it's just you know, it's frustrating to see this team and just in general, not just, you know, Gary and just all these guys, we know the potential that, you know, judge has, he can be an MVP type guy. Same thing with Stan. And we know what he did before he came to the Yankees 50, what was it? 56 home runs. He's just, he's an absolute, he's a beast. You know, there's no question about it. It's just the health that that's really all it is. If this team can stay healthy, sky's the limit. We know what they can do. Their lineup matches up when any team in the league, you know, if these pitches can come around, we don't need them. Like I, you know, I said before, we don't need them being Cy young guys. You know, go out there, toss us a solid six innings, get it to the bullpen, try and give it up four or five runs, you know, max. That's it. We know what this we know what this lineup can bring to the table. It's just it's just injuries these past few years have been really, really tough to watch. Imagine any other catcher having a season like Gary Sanchez's last year. Like <laughs> they might not even be a starter. 
Yeah. It's just, there's no denying his offensive potential. There are still people that rank him a top five offensive catcher. And that's after last season, which we can all agree, right? There's, there's no, there's no words. It's, it was just bad. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really hope, I really hope he gets it right. I think this is, this is his year. If he has another bad year, we're looking at maybe we have to make some very difficult decisions. I think the but one thing listen, I, we, yeah. Lou, we, um, that, this is actually one of the things I picked up on in uh, spring training. We do have a few, um, like Austin Wells, one of our first round picks from, uh, I think it was last year, a few years ago. Like there are a few young guys, you know, in the system that are and, catchers. And but. even, um, I mean, he's not a young guy, but we have Rob Brantley as an option who um, left me mm-hmm. on red on the Sportsnet account, but we'll truck, <laughs> move right along. Past that. Well, yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, road bump. we'll get through it. But um, no, I mean, yeah, Lou, I don't, I don't think there's any, he can't, he can't get worse than last year. I mean, I've always, I'm just, that's just the way I'm optimistic about everything. I think the Yankees are going to go 162 and 0. Gary Sanchez <laughs> is going to hit 50 home runs, 200 RBIs, you know, the usual. Love it. Love it. But it's just, I feel like he can't get worse. So he has to, he has to prove himself this year. And this is, this is a big year for a lot of guys on the Yankees. Yeah. Same thing with Judge. Judge wants to get a contract. You know, he wants to be a longtime Yankee. You know, show us that you can play 140 games plus, stay healthy for a year, you know? So there's a, there's a lot. There's gonna, this is going to be a big season, not only, you know, hoping that, you know, they make it, obviously, to the World Series and they do become champions, but just for, you know, individual players themselves, there are a lot of things that the Yankees are looking for. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gary can't be home runner bust this year, guys. I mean, there's no way around it. He can't strike out close to 200 times. He, regardless of how many home runs he hits, He's got to be able to hit for power and be able to hit the doubles that he was hitting when he was a rookie and in his second year, and he was and he was a formidable hitter. Um, Kyle Higashioka not only has proven that he can hit at this stage, but that Garrett Cole likes catching him. Hmm. Uh, so I don't think the Yankees will be afraid to put Higashioka in more often than not if Gary is struggling. I know that's not what he wants to hear. He says he wants to be the catcher. He doesn't want to be a DH. Um, but they can't afford, regardless of how good their offense is, they can't afford to have 200 strikeouts in the lineup. Um, it seems like in the spring, he's kind of fixed that a little bit. Um, I know that they've been trying a bunch of different things with him with having one knee down when he's catching so that the, that the balls aren't that he could block the ball a little better. We know his arm is great. Um, and he could throw anybody out when he wants to. Um, and I think his defense has improved a lot, but for me, and I know the, I know Aaron judge said that he has the potential to be an MVP. Fantastic. I don't need MVP. I just need not striking out as much (laughs) as he has. And, if he gets to the 20 to 30 home runs that he had again, fantastic. I, I do. And I think what people are saying when they say they'd rather see four singles, they don't want to see one for five with one home run and four strikeouts. Yeah. yeah. Um, if a home run and a double, if he's two for five every game with a home run and a double, I think people will be pretty happy. Um, but you got, but he has to, he has to have competitive at bats out there. Um, if you remember his first at bat from spring training, it was three swing and misses. Yes. And that's where everybody said, Oh, here we go again. But, of course, that was the first step back. As long as we see less of those and more of what that we're seeing so where he's bad. hitting 500-foot home runs, then, yeah, I think we'll be okay. I mean, I think even Trevor Plouffe did a video about it, like, look at Gary's timing. I think it's like 2017, look where his leg is when the pitcher's arm is back here as opposed to 2020 when he's getting blown away by fastballs. And, you know, you hope Gary's made – made that adjustment because so far his timing looks great. And even one of his home runs was an opposite field shot, which is what you'd love to see. I think that's like when you, when you know hitters are right is when they can drive the ball to, you know, to all fields. Uh, like you said, John Franco, it's going to be a big season for everyone. Stan had an amazing postseason; was probably our best player. Um, 
can he just put together a season where he stays healthy? We avoid all the soft, the soft tissue injuries and he can just be, you know, a, a mainstay in our offense. I'm not asking him to play left field. I want him just to be our everyday DH. If he can do that for 150 games, you know, I'm in, sign me up. Hope Clint mm-hmm. Frazier at left field. Hope he continues on last year's success. Um, and, you know, hope Glaber kind of bounces back. If everything falls right, you know, this, this Yankees team should have a pretty, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but like they've got a pretty solid path to the World Series. Who's the team in the AL that's really getting in their way? I think we, I think we all agree it's maybe the White Sox. Yeah, the I think the White Sox are the scary team. They're the like, White Sox because that potential is just, and it's not just now. Like even you know whatever the White Sox do this year, that they're going to be here for a while. Team, yeah, they're going to be here for a while. So yeah. they're they're a very good team. I think um, just trying to go off the top of my head. I mean uh, the Twins. I think still. I, uh, we, look, we, the we, Twins we, are we, solid, but we're not scared of them. Yeah, you know, I know we, we play the Twins well in the postseason. Um, I'm trying to think who else. We have I to throw the out there. We ha- I mean, look, if the Blue Jays are on the up. We yeah, have to throw out Houston. Right. Houston is still going to be solid. I think we still have like a same like Houston's not as good as they've been the past few years, but like there's part of me that's like Houston's going to see us and they're going to come to play. Like they're not going to mess around. When we go yeah, to that exactly. Yankees Astros game on May fourth, the stadium's going to be electric. But you know Houston's going to be bringing it. Might have to jump in left field. Might fight Brantley or something. Listen, <laughs> we're in, we're in, we're in row four, so you know. Listen, we're going to bring it. <laughs> Yeah, I no. think you gotta you gotta you gotta mention the Blue Jays for sure, um, and the White Sox. Uh, look, on paper, the Yankees are always one of the top teams. It just comes mm-hmm. down to what what happens when they get into a five game series, and it, yeah. is it their pitching yeah. that holds up, and do they have the timely hitting? Um, mm-hmm. And you hate to say it's a hundred sixty two game season, and you're just waiting for the postseason, but you know this team's supposed to make the playoffs. That that that's not the success. That's not what's going to measure the success of this team. Mm-hmm. It's can you win in the DS? Can you make it to the championship series? And finally, can you make the World Series? That's where they have to be. That's where the mentality has to be for this team. Mm-hmm. One last team. I would just I feel I would feel bad if I didn't throw out just because they let's face it they schooled us last year like Tampa Bay. It's one of those teams that I don't think I on just paper, gonna say that. They're going to be that they're not going to be that great on paper, but they always play above their talent level. They know how to get the best out of what they have. Their exactly. pitching depth is really, really good. And they're going to be dialed to a hundred when they, when they play us. So yeah. I'm not frightened of them, but I know we're going to have to be ready when we play them. Um, yeah, and then you got their old friend, Chris Archer back. And while well, he hasn't been good lately, it's the Rays. They could turn him into a semi ace again. Cy Young potential. <laughs> Yeah, Obviously, yeah. <laughs> Mets fans. What I want to ask you is: there's been a video circulating the internet <laughs> of you celebrating the World Series, and you're playing a game of 27 outs, which is a great game. Love it, by the way. Here's my. I want. I do want to get your take on it. Here's my concern. I can already see the post when the Mets lose in the playoffs. That 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 video is going to be out there. Like, listen, over over the course of a full season. You're going to do something that people are going to make fun of on the internet as a team. Why did you do it in March? Like you've already given us the video for people to post when, when you lose, if you lose, hopefully. Yeah. I think, I think it's their confidence. I guess their confidence is through the roof. I, I mean, don't Maso, know the video you're talking about, actually. I, yeah. miss, I miss this. What, what is going, oh, going on? Can... All right. So basically. It was, what was it? it was like a, they were playing uh, 27 outs, like Luke said, and like yeah. they got the final out and they like 
they pretended to celebrate for the World Series. The World Series, like the bullpen <laughs> ran out, like uh, everyone was jumping in the middle of the uh, field. And I think they interviewed. Uh, I think Dom Smith got interviewed after. He was like, "Yeah, I, I forgot what he, his word was, but I, I think he just said it. he was like, it's fun or something like that.' I don't know what he said. He said something along those lines. Yeah, he fun. said that it was like fun and to and and uh, it got them in the right mindset. And look, I mean, I, I kind of thought it was kind of ridiculous too. Um, when I saw the video and uh, the way that it was portrayed, a lot of people were kind of making fun of it. And then you heard what the guys were saying on the Mets. And they said, yeah. look, like, we're just trying to get into the right mindset. Like, our goal is to win a World Series. So we wanted to be ready and prepared when that moment happens. We want to put it out in the universe that we have the potential as a team to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to argue that kind of stuff. Uh, there's some sports psychology. I'm not, uh, I didn't get a PhD from Fordham. So I don't, mm-hmm. I, I can't speak much to that kind of stuff. But I'm sure that there's something to that of getting yourself into the mindset of if we win, this is how we have to be. Or if, if we do these things, we will win. Um, Look, it's it's Steve Cohen's world now. Uh, it's a different it, it's a different mindset for the Mets. Maybe the old Wilpon Mets we would have made fun of. This could be like what gets them to be the team that everybody expects them to be. So, now listen, I love the confidence in it. Right? I do think right, you gotta prepare to be in the World Series. You can't go and then be like, oh, you know, you're just dead in the water because you didn't. It's important to get into that right mindset. And if they do win the World Series, listen, that video is going to go down in history. It's going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And now they're prepared. Now they know what to do. Yeah. They know but, you know, him, so that's good. I'm, I'm just warning you guys as Mets fans, like, if you lose, that video is going to get sent in the podcast group chat <laughs> multiple times. Yeah, that's fair. I'm warning you. That's fair. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Oh. So I think we've kind of reached a natural end. Some things I do want, I do want to ask uh, some questions to Anthony Pusick that have less to do about sports, but I think oh, would be fun. Um, at this question, I'm going to preface with, occasionally, Miss K.O. does listen to the podcast. <laughs> Who is your favorite teacher in Xavier? Miss K.O. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but ever, I mean, look, you guys, you guys know um, – and I'm sure that uh, Mr. Uh, the fact that Mr. Harris does this for you guys too. Oh, he's um, the best. Every everybody that works at Xavier does such a tremendous job. puts so much time and effort into uh, each individual student. Um, you develop friendships with people. That's why I still talk to Miss Ko, um, Mr. Levy, Miss Gonzalez. Like people like that are are just people that. Um, I've grown very close with Father Rivera. I was always very close Love with. Love Father um, Rivera. Miss he's that the guy. best. He will teach you how to write, by the way. So if you guys need help with writing, Father Rivera will teach you how to write. Um, he just the 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 place that is Xavier High School just allows you to the become a mentor for others. The Jesuit stuff and all that stuff is great, but you just you're a family with the people that are there, with the teachers that are there. Um, you know, it was one of the one of the most best decisions I made in my young life to go to Xavier. Um, and those four years are some that I'll never forget. And I still talk to a bunch of my friends from Xavier. Um, and a lot of that has to do with teaching p- teachers like Miss Ko and Miss Gonzalez and Mr. Levy, who taught us, you know, and and put an effort into our lives, wanted to know what we wanted to do with our lives, and and took us on that right path. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely want to say almost every Xavier alumni we've we've interacted with has really kind of just echoed those sentiments and and really been a man for others. I mean, last year we had Brandon Tierney come on a podcast just like every time every time we get a, we talk to a xavier alumni they're always down like when i texted you right you know you, right away like yeah let's do it i'm down i can't thank you enough 
you know, for coming out that you didn't need to do this. You have much bigger things to preoccupy yourself with. You're on the number one drive afternoon drive show in New York. Um, but it's just, it's amazing to be able to make these connections through Xavier. I, I really agree. Being able to do this podcast, you know, with my boys, it's, it's like family and it's like, uh, it's been the highlight of this year. So I, I can't say enough about it. No, I think you guys are doing an awesome job. And, uh, you know, Mr. Harris, like overseeing you guys is awesome. And I know I would have loved to do this stuff when I was in Xavier. Um, just, you know, we just never at, at that time, 2012 podcasting and stuff wasn't exactly as big. Um, mm. You know, we had a newspaper, we had stuff like that. Um, you know, every now and again, Ryan Warner actually took us out to do one of the Turkey bowl games. Uh, he was a Xavier graduate. Um, and that was kind of like where I got into like, wow, I kind of, I want to do this stuff. This is really cool. Like I want to, I want to be in the booth. I want to like talk sports. I want to do all that stuff. So to be able to do that and to have Xavier give you a platform to do that um, is pretty awesome. And I know that there's nothing but the best that comes out of that school. Um, so I know that you guys are doing great work and it's fun, but also it, it's really commendable what you guys are doing at such a young age. And now I do have a, uh, one question pertaining to the show. <laughs> Omar from Brooklyn. Let's talk about him for a little bit. Sure. This guy. Uh, let's talk about Omar. Let's talk about Omar a little bit. Let's Whenever he comes on, me and my dad just kind of turn and, and laugh at each other. I, I always kind of liked that he was angry, but then I was confused. There was one call he made where he was mm-hmm. actually com- he was like complimenting the Knicks, and he was mm-hmm. still yelling. Mm-hmm. You think that rage is real? Where do you stand on that? Because like, I know he's a fan favorite. I'm just... Is it all real? Is he putting it on? Like, what's the deal there? Well, if you look at Twitter, there's multiple. There's mixed feelings about Omar. Some people really like him, and some people really don't. There's no in between. Sometimes he's over the. the, Listen, I'll I'll be the first to admit, you know, like I enjoy him, but you know, he's over the top sometimes. It gets to the point where, like, as soon as you hit like the three minute mark, it's like, all right, let's. Well, put it this way: the fact that listeners of the show are are talking to Omar from Brook about Omar from Brooklyn tells you all you need to know. Uh, There are some characters that will call into Sports Talk Radio. Omar is one of them. I would like to say, and I don't know him personally outside of just talking to him on the phone every now and again, um, his rage is real. But if you <laughs> notice, one, uh, on one of his last rants, Peter just kind of said his name a couple times, and he, Omar Omar was screaming, as he always is, and Peter goes, Omar? And he goes, yes. So I don't know whether <laughs> he just gets into one of these modes where he just can't stop and somebody has to like snap him back, back down to earth, but – I don't think you're going to find a more passionate uh, Nick fan than Omar from Brooklyn. Um, there's, there's no doubting that. There's no doubting yeah. that. So is the rage real? Yeah, I think so. Um, does he put it on? Maybe now that he knows that everybody listens. Um, but I, <laughs> but you know, when you get a call from Omar from Brooklyn, there's a chance that it could be very, very fun. Well, you know what? It's working out for him. So I'm just going to, you know, more power to him. That's right. It's <laughs> all right, Anthony. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on again. Obviously it goes without saying you're welcome on this podcast anytime. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, on behalf of uh, Mr. Harris, Tommaso, John Franco, and the first guest of Guest Month, Anthony Pusick, let's call it a night, boys. Thank you. Get for your money And it seems such 